Hey everyone, Patrick here. I am so excited our series, The APAM Conversations, was named a finalist for the second annual Signal Awards. To celebrate this, and as part of our campaign to try and win this thing, over the next 10 days, I am re-airing the series in its entirety. I hope you enjoy revisiting these incredible conversations I have with these amazing guests, and if it's your first time listening, welcome. I hope you enjoy them as well. After you listen, please cast your vote. You can find the link to do so in the show notes on IG at Conversation Pod Piece or by going to our website, conversationpeacepod.com. Without further ado, here are the APAM Conversations. Hey everyone, welcome to Conversation Peace with Patrick Armstrong. I am the titular Patrick, and this is a show where my guests and I discuss what pieces or parts of the conversation we aren't talking about, but should be. Special shout out to all of my returning listeners and a, fi- <laughs> and a high five and hello to everyone joining us for the very first time. Thank you very much. The month of May is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, or APAM, and it's meant to celebrate and reflect on the history and peoples that make up our beautiful communities. As part of that reflection, this month I'll be sharing nine conversations with friends and folks I greatly admire in the community as we discuss those missing pieces of the Asian American conversation. What we know, what we might not know, and what we can do about it. These are the APAM Conversations. My guest today is a transracial adoptee advocate. They were born in India and adopted as a baby into a white family in the U.S., Two years ago, they began sharing their experience as a queer adoptee on Instagram, and their page is a safe space for the adoptee community and anyone who wants to learn. She or They are also a part of the Asian Adoptees of Indiana group, which you've probably heard me talk about a little bit on this podcast. It is a privilege and my honor to welcome Marguerite J to the show. Hey, Marguerite. Hi, Patrick. And also, no worries. I use she, they pronouns, they, she, um, no order in particular, so... Well, I appreciate that. Great. (laughs) Thank you. I'm trying, I'm trying to be mindful. I want to be mindful of pronouns. And I feel like even for me, I mean, I say even for me, like I'm some sort of expert, but I still (laughs) find myself slipping up sometimes. So I just wanted to, I want to make sure I'm honoring you and being mindful of you and your identities as well. So thank you. I appreciate that. I think that just the respect and the effort is what matters. Like, honestly, if you make a mistake, like I'm not going to be offended. I think there are a lot of other people who feel that way too, but it's, it's about the effort. Well, I really, really appreciate it. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well as well. Um, Marguerite grew up in, where did you grow up? South Bend, mm-hmm. Indiana? Okay, so in the same geographic region as I grew up here in Indiana as well. And she also attends Purdue University, which is where I went to school in college. And I've been really fortunate to have gotten to connect with Marguerite over the last few years and develop a relationship and a friendship that is equal parts inspiring and also motivational uh, for the work that I do. And also thinking ahead in the future about what it means for the people coming up after me, the generations after the generation I'm a part of in terms of the conversations we're having and the questions that we're asking, particularly when it comes to adoption. So um, I'm very excited to be able to have you on the show today. Uh, You're currently not in the US. If you don't mind me asking, where are you calling in from? I am calling in from Madrid, Spain. I am studying abroad here for this semester. Well, that is very, very exciting. Um, For anybody who may not know you who's listening to the show right now, can you give us a little bit more of an introduction or background to who is Marguerite J? Sure. Hi, my name is Marguerite. It's really nice to meet you. 
Um, I am an Indian adoptee, so I was born in Calcutta, but I was adopted as a baby uh, by a white family, and I grew up in the United States. So throughout the majority of my life, I didn't feel connected to myself as an Indian person until probably my senior year in high school, I started realizing that I was experiencing racism in the world, and I had no tools. I had no mm -hmm. idea how to deal with it because my parents don't experience racism <laughs> as white people. And so I started uh, sharing my experience and I looked at Instagram and I found an amazing adoptee community and I'm really grateful for them. And on Instagram, I talk about my experience as a person of color, specifically an Indian adoptee in the United States, and also that intersectionality with being queer. I appreciate that. Um, I think one of the things I'm most drawn to is how you talk about those intersections and specifically through your lived experience. You know, it's something that is very different from mine. And I think it's something that I learn a lot from every time that you share or post or, or have that conversation. So I appreciate everything that you do. And I'm excited to dive into this, particularly when it comes to um, experiencing that racism uh, and diving into kind of what that is and why that is. So the whole purpose of the series is to, to address those missing parts of the conversation about Asian America, you know, that we should be talking about. So for you, Marguerite, from your perspective, what is something about that conversation that's missing and that we should be talking about? One thing that I think is missing from the conversation about Asian America is colorism within um, the Asian community and specifically the Asian American community. Because I mm. think um, just the world in general, there are many countries that... Um, have colorism. Colorism is a big oppression worldwide. But in the United States specifically, due to our history with white supremacy and racism, the intersectionality between colorism and racism gets really complicated. And so specifically within the Asian American community, I think that representation for what it means to be Asian American in Hollywood and just in general is mainly focused on East Asian countries um, but we need more representation from South Asian and Southeast Asian countries and people. And I think also within the Asian American community, there is, um, I don't want to put this, there's division between us. Mm -hmm. So I, there have been times when I've met um, East Asian people that are like, oh, well, you're not Asian because you don't look like me. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> I that's a lot to unpack there. Right. I, we're on the same team. Like we're, we're together <laughs> right. on this. So I think it's important to recognize that being Asian and being American, uh, both of those things separately don't have one meaning and to put them together in a country that is already so diverse has experienced a very unique history in terms of uh, white supremacy. It's, it's important to be able to include everyone that we can in the conversation. I love that answer, and it makes me think about disaggregated data and the importance of that. Uh, specifically, I'm thinking about NAPOF, the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum, just released their annual report on uh, women's wages, specifically from the Asian American diaspora. And yes. seeing that breakdown, you know, is so important because, like you said, we all get lumped into one category, and it's like, mm -hmm. oh, well, you're doing great because, on average, everybody who we consider Asian, like, looks like they're doing good. But when you really dig into the data, it's like, well, maybe two groups are having a good time and right. everyone else is not necessarily having a great time. Right. And that's that's really interesting to look at and think about, especially when we consider um, 
the wage gap for gender as well. Mm, right. Because what is considered what an employer might see as an Asian woman, it might may be so limited that there could be two Asian women that are getting paid unequally, mm. even within like the fact that they're both women and they're both getting paid less. Yeah. That's yeah, absolutely. Let's dive into that a little bit. And I want to take one half step back. And I love that you bring up colorism because I feel like that's something we don't talk about in this community at all. And for those who may not know, um, could you give us just a high level overview of like a definition for colorism specifically? Yeah, sure. So my um, basic definition of colorism (laughs) is that the closer you are to being pale is better. It is definitely rooted in white supremacy, but Mm. it is part of uh, many cultures around the world. So you don't necessarily have to look like you have Eurocentric, like a Eurocentric background, but the lighter your skin is, the more likely you are to be valued and seen as more beautiful. That makes a lot of sense. And it makes me think about you know, especially in our situation as adoptees, like proximity to whiteness and how that in itself, we can internalize that mindset and not even being connected to our broader Asian American communities, develop this idea of colorism in our own lives. Mm -hmm. And then especially if we fall on like the darker side of that spectrum, you know, that can be doubly harmful because one, you're facing colorism from people within the community anyways. And then right. two, you're doing it to yourself. Like mm-hmm. because you're internalized that you're like, I'm seeing myself as white and now maybe that's how I'm navigating it. I don't know. Does that sound right? Does that sound like something? Am I am I getting close to it? At yeah, least? yeah. It, it definitely makes me think about how within um, the community, like I could experience or maybe, I don't know. I could experience colorism from other Indian people, but Mm, I can also experience racism from Indian people in the United States. And so there's a weird intersection there because based on how you are perceived, based on stereotypes and your skin color, um, there are going to be even people in your own community that are going to treat you differently. And it won't necessarily be um, racism from the United States, but just like Mm. a you need to look like this so that you can be Indian enough. You need to look like this Mm. so that you can be valued so that you can get married and so many overlapping things. Yeah. Let's, I want to dive into that aspect of it there because on top of the colorism, like, okay, so actually let me ask this, a clarifying question. Are colorism and racism part of the same thing? Are they just two different isms? Do you feel like there's a correlation there? I definitely think that there is a correlation since they're both rooted in white supremacy. Okay. I don't know if I have enough experience to be able to talk about colorism as an adoptee uh, who grew up with a white family. I have, I believe I've experienced racism more so than colorism specifically, but I would say they're definitely related. Okay. So that, thank you for sharing that and helping to clarify that from, from that perspective, then you talked about, I can experience racism from other Indian people. And, you know, I think that's another part of the conversation we don't talk about very much because a lot of, especially right now, it's like racism is very clearly white oppression on marginalized groups, particularly those of color. Mm -hmm. And um, I think we, I think because of that, again, we can really get 
in our own heads about what that is. And then we can perpetuate harm to other people from our own community. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's so when it comes to something like that, what has, I mean, have you experienced that directly? If so, you know, how was, how have you handled that? And then a follow-up to that would be what kind of things do we need to do in order to recognize that we are doing that ourselves to people from our own community? I would say personally, I have not experienced racism, colorism from other Indian people. Um, Being that I'm from Calcutta, I'm a North Indian. I think that um, a lot more South Indian people are going to experience that more. And so what I've done to try and learn more about it and open my eyes to these issues is listen to South Indian creators Mm. that I just see on Instagram and TikTok that are sharing their experience because it's not something that I've experienced, but I don't want to be ignorant to it. And I would say for us in general, just learning about it, it's important to have an open mind and seek um, people within our community that have different experiences than us because you never know what kind of oppression somebody else might be facing, even though from the outside, it might look to us that, oh, we're in the same boat. Like, yes, we are, but there are so many levels to things that, you know, we might not know. Yeah, absolutely. And when did this particular journey start for you specifically? I know you said, I know when we did the intro, you know, two years ago, you started to share. Um, Mm -hmm. But when did you, because obviously for us as adoptees, like, when we come to our cultures, when we come to these communities, we're, we're, we feel very on the outside. And so yes. we are learning how to engage and interact with people from our own communities in real time in a similar way, I think, as people who might perpetuate racism or colorism or harm to people of their own community need to learn in that same way that we do, like more about their culture or more about the diversity within their own part of the diaspora. Right. Can you Especially talk about since we're expected to know everything? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So can you talk just a little bit about how that started for you and when you recognized, oh, I have to learn these things? Because I think it can be really helpful for people listening who might realize, oh, I've been doing these things too, to know like places that other folks have started so they can maybe have an idea of where they could start for themselves. Yeah. So for me, when I started realizing I want to feel more connected to my Indian identity, I decided to start um, like decentering the mm. like white beauty standards that were in my life. Mm. And so that didn't necessarily look like starting to um, accept myself or do affirmations. It also looked like on Instagram and TikTok at the time, the majority of my videos, like makeup videos were of white women. And mm, so, okay. and like, I mean, it didn't really matter to me because I was like, oh yeah, I mean makeup. But then I'm like, oh, I can't use any of the the color shades that they're using. And so I'm like, you know, this isn't really super helpful to me. And so I started following more Indian creators because they look like me. And I can also, you know, if they're like, oh, you should check out this shade from Rare Beauty. I'll be like, I know that that's going to work on me. <laughs> <laughs> and so within these makeup videos or um, videos where people were sharing traditional dances Um, they would also talk about like issues within their families. And so since I didn't grow up with an Indian family, I don't have immigrant parents in the same way that uh, many of the creators that I follow share. They would talk about um, people within their own family being like, oh, you should 
not go outside in the summertime because you'll get a tan and you'll get darker or just really body shaming, like sure. heavy body shaming comments that they would make. And I had no idea. And a lot of these creators um, happen to have darker skin than me. And they're very proud of their South Indian heritage. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. That's not an experience I have. So I'm definitely going to be open to it because I want to figure out what's going on. And I am, yeah, I'm, I feel like an outsider looking in at my own community, but in a way I am because I didn't grow up with an Indian family, but I still think it's important to be aware of these things. Especially one thing that they mentioned was that if you go to an Indian grocery store, a lot of the women like on the like hair oil or like soap, they will have really light skin. And it's like, mm. none of us look like that. Interesting. <laughs> none of us look like that. And I've also seen a lot of Indian creators talk about how um, within like Indian media, the beauty standards are very whitewashed. Like okay. the women, like they have just lighter skin um, for the purpose of like TV or beauty. So I've, I've just done a lot of learning there. And that's the way I've really um, understood these things from an outside perspective. Yeah, well, it's just seeking out those things, those voices that are, or a lived experience, I suppose, that's unlike our own. Mm -hmm. um, especially within our own communities, I think we tend to think my experience is so similar to other people, like right. that I get it. Like I don't need to hear what you have to say or whatever the case. I don't. I don't necessarily have to spend the time learning or hearing these stories because it's probably just the same as mine. You know, when in, in reality, there might be similarities, but it's probably wildly different. And you probably do. There are nuggets of wisdom or or knowledge or things to learn from those conversations or even just sitting on a YouTube channel and following those creators who do uh, have the time and capacity to share in that in that way. Um, it's so interesting to think about the way that Indian beauty products are marketed and clearly, that is a product of white supremacy, of colonization and imperialization. You know that right. <laughs> that's right. That, right. That's influencing them to market in a way that's almost like, well, that's not even nobody. None of us look like that. Like, yeah, why are like, we doing it? From, <laughs> why, why are we doing it from this perspective? Which I think is a great segue into this, is, into what people outside of our own community can do to support us in terms of talking about this part of the conversation that we don't even talk about inside the community. Like how do people outside of our community, it doesn't even have to be white people, but how do people outside of specifically the Indian diaspora, the Indian Indian American uh, community start to have that conversation? What do they need to do? What do we need to do to make sure that we are being mindful and, and addressing these things as well um, and not putting it all on one group's shoulders to have to have that conversation? Right. Um, big question. It is a big question. <laughs> Let me think about this for a second. Please solve white supremacy. Solve for white supremacy, please. <laughs> <laughs> Answer pending. <laughs> um, my goodness. I would say, okay, specifically within the Indian community. So for like outsiders, like non-Indian people, I would say... It's important to include Indian people in the conversation, but also look at, ask yourself who you think of when you think of Asian, mm. because other Asian people, also non-Asian people, so many people have told me, oh, you don't look Asian. 
you're not Asian, you're from India because mm. India is a subcontinent. And I'm like, geography. <laughs> it's <laughs> we we <laughs> we're, we're we're a part of Asia. So I think that including Indian people, there's a lot of racism specifically to Indian people, especially in the United States. There's a lot of um, harmful stereotypes specifically to Indians mm -hmm. that we could be deconstructing for sure. And also just um, uplifting Indian creators and learning more about many Asian countries' culture together instead of just like the Asian culture that we see portrayed by Hollywood. I love that. Um, and something else that you wrote, I think that goes hand in hand with this is um, actually you wrote hand in hand, which is probably why I just said that uh, is talking about the model minority myth and really yes. pulling that apart as well. Um, can you talk just a little bit about what people outside of broader a, a and H P I D a community can do to address that particular issue? Yeah. So just to start to talk about what the model minority myth is, is mm. just a basic definition is that um, Asians are successful people. Like we are smart. There are many Asian people that are doctors. So they think, oh, Asian people are smart. Asian people are rich and successful. And that's seen as a good stereotype, but it is just as harmful mm. because then it places this expectation on our shoulders of what you have to be and what you should be already instead of just seeing people as who they are. And I'd say within like the intersection between the model minority myth and colorism, um, like going back to the whole, like the gender wage gap, for example, sure. if there's um, an Indian woman and an East Asian woman working at the same place, they both as women may be underpaid, but they might be underpaid differently. Where sure maybe the East Asian woman is paid higher than the Indian woman because the Indian woman isn't seen as Asian or right. the, there are harmful stereotypes for both of these things. So I would say for the model minority myth, what people from the outside can do is deconstruct that idea of when I look at this person, this is what I think, mm. because we need to be seeing people for who they are and not for like what we think they are. Right. Our perception are like our internalized beliefs, you know, that we are, that we've always held on to that probably are rooted in something terrible. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that. And I want to thank you because I don't think you probably thought you were going to have to come on here and define a bunch of terms. No, no, <laughs> but, no, that's okay. I hope I'm doing an okay job. It. You're doing an amazing job. You're doing an absolutely amazing job. Um, yeah, I think that's so important because like, we can, and honestly, to, to loop this together into like what we can do in our own community, I think that addressing the model minority myth is important because I think we can do it for ourselves too. Because I think we can, you know, when it comes to what does it mean to be Asian or Asian American, like we can also put a certain person or group of people on a pedestal and say, this is like the good Asian American, this is what I need to aspire to. Right. And then unfairly either prop them up or put self-limiting beliefs on ourselves to where, you know, that we, we aren't making the progress that we want to make, uh, even within our own community. And then we're having all of that pressure come from the outside as well mm -hmm. from other people putting that on us to where we, I think you mentioned at the very beginning, it, it causes this division yes. within the community where it splits us, 
um, not even against other communities of color, communities that have been marginalized, but within our own specific larger diaspora. Especially as um, Asian Americans, because living in the United States as a capitalistic individualist country, we are sub- we are told that our value comes from what we can put into the society in terms of work. So what degrees do you have? How much schooling did you get? What was your path like? How much money do you make? Those are seen as important, most important in the eyes of capitalism. And so to deconstruct the model minority myth not only deconstructs um, oppressions related to racism and colorism within the Asian community, but it also deconstructs this idea that our value is based on what we can produce rather than just you are valued, you have value because you exist, period. Right. I absolutely love that. That's, I don't, I don't even know, I don't <laughs> even have anything to follow up because I think that's perfect. So we're, I'm not even going to sully what you said with anything coming out of my mouth. Um, I really appreciate you, you know, sitting down and having this conversation with me and diving into these, I think, not only really important, but really like intimate personal topics to yourself. Um, and as we kind of wind down here, you talked about one of the things people can do is, and one of the things that you've done in your journey is follow other Indian creators and follow people who are having these conversations already and talking about this um, and, and multiple different platforms. Who right now are you inspired by? Or are you following that you think other people should be uh, paying attention to as well? Okay, one of them, her name is Aishwara, and I can spell out her um, Instagram handle if you want. Or Sure. Okay, so it's A-I-S-H-U-A and then two Ds. All but right. She shares um, her experience as a South Indian creator, and she also um, does a lot of traditional Indian dances. I've learned a lot from her, and I just, I love her page. So <laughs> she's All right, great. perfect. And then... Another creator, she's not Indian. She is Japanese and black. Her name is Yasna, and her um, handle on TikTok is Y A Z I and then underscore N A Y. And what does Yasna, what, is, what does she talk about? Just that experience of being biracial, Japanese, and black? Um, yeah. One thing that she talks about being biracial is that she says she's 100% black and 100% Japanese. And I've never heard. Um, anyone biracial say that like Mm. as strongly as she does. I think it's so important because she's claiming both of these identities that she does have. And I really appreciate her um, sharing her experience because she talks not only about like the colorism within the Asian community, but also that intersectionality with being a black woman. So I, I really enjoy the things that she adds and I think her voice is really powerful. Well, thank you for sharing both of those folks with us. Definitely going to have to follow. They will definitely be linked in the show notes as well for anyone who wants to follow along too. Perfect. Um, So that way you can uh, get connected with them there. Again, as we wind this down, um, you know, we talked about inspirations and we've dove into those different parts of the conversation we're not talking about, but need to be. Um, This is obviously coming out in May. This whole, the series is called the APAM series. uh, And, People have multiple opinions about Heritage Months and whether they celebrate them, whether they don't, whether they even recognize them. I think they're all valid. So I've been wanting to ask all my guests, is APAM something that you celebrate? And if so, if you feel if you feel comfortable enough to explain and, and talk about why or why not, uh, that would be great too. 
I definitely celebrate APAM. Um, I, I think everyone has a different way of celebrating. So the way that I celebrate is just trying to find more creators. And mm. right now I'm in the unique um, position of being in a city. So I know that in Chicago, there are lots of little areas for specific communities. So I'm probably going to go try and find some Asian communities in Madrid and learn and just experience what it is like to be Asian in Madrid, because I don't know. <laughs> I'm Asian in the United States. <laughs> I love that. And I, I mean, that's a, that's, I can't wait to follow on that journey. I think that's a great <laughs> conversation for another, for once you've uh, found your way through that, navigated through it, I would love to talk to you again about that and how that's going, because, you know, that's, i I don't necessarily know what it's like to be Asian in another country because before all the countries that I visited before, um, that was all prior to this journey that I've been on where I recognize myself as Asian. So I'm like, <laughs> I was just being white in those places. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing, but I wasn't seeking out community. But now it's like, we just went on vacation and, uh, we found this random Korean restaurant in the middle of Flagstaff, Arizona. And I was nice. like, what is happening here? But normally I would have never went into that place. And then we went in there twice because I was like, this food is amazing. Yes. Um, well, wishing you luck on this journey of finding community here or here, but in Spain, in Madrid specifically. Thank you. Excited to follow along in that journey. Um, last question before we wrap it up. How do we, how does this community best support you? Me specifically? You specifically, any of the work that you're doing or how, 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 do, we, how do we just support you? How do we uplift you? How do we amplify your voice? Um, you can follow me on Instagram. <laughs> My Instagram is Jagaritam. If you want to link that in the notes, that would be good because it's kind of long. Um, <laughs> but if you're not supporting me specifically, you can still support me in a way by supporting other adoptees. Because mm. I think that the adoptee experience is something that we are finally starting to recognize and talk about now. And especially um, adoptees within many cultures. I think Asian adoptees, there's uh, so many of us in the United States. So please support Asian adoptees and Asian adoptee voices because adoption is, um, it's a, it's a big topic, especially right now with reproductive, um, healthcare being taken away and weaponized and many adoptees, specifically international adoptees, um, raised in white families. It, it's often a form of colonization because we are mm. taken away from our cultures and we are taught to hate ourselves. So please listen to adopt your voices. Uh, we multiple things just in that, <laughs> in that support <laughs> message. We got to have a conversation about that. And also I just want to say I recorded with somebody not too long ago who said the exact same thing. And I was like, how do we support you? And they're like, support other adoptees is the way yes. you can support me. So I love it. I love it. That just shows what our community is, is doing right now in terms of supporting each other. And just how important it is for all of us to know that the other voices in our community are being heard as well. So I appreciate that. Thank you again, Marguerite, for coming on the show, for giving us this time, for sharing Thank so, so intimately with me. us. You are so welcome. You're welcome back on the show at any, any time. Um, it's a, a major special thank you um, to for you to come on this series, specifically the APAM Conversations. It, it really means a lot to me. Your friendship and your community means a lot to me. So oh, thank, thank you for, you for that. Me. <laughs> you are very, very welcome. For everyone else out there listening, you can find links to everything that Marguerite and I talked about in the show notes. So you'll be able to find everything there. You can also follow us at Conversation Pod Piece on Instagram. 
If you feel so inclined to leave a rating or review on whatever podcast player that you use, we would greatly appreciate it. Helps the show grow. And if you're interested in supporting the show in the future in any other way, feel free to hop in my DMs or visit my website, patrickintheworld.me. Until next time, I am Patrick Armstrong, and this has been Conversation Piece. Thanks, Marguerite. Thank you.